0: Hey there! Welcome to Subject Matter Season 4, where we're discovering how to build a strong company culture. We're learning from fast-moving founders and CEOs, and how their cultures make customers want to work with them, and talent want to work for them, in some cases completely remotely. I'm your host, Ben Bradbury, the founder of Astutely, and our team is dedicated to supporting B2B leaders to build aligned company cultures at scale. And now, let's get into today's episode. Today's interview is with Shaul Olmut Shaul is the CEO and founder of Piggy, an app that allows Gen Z and young people to reinvent themselves from stuffy professional media. Documents shouldn't be boring and Piggy lets you express yourself however you want to with this blank canvas model that we'll talk about a little bit later. He's also the co-founder of Playbuzz and Gameground working out of New York City and he today is based in Israel. Today's interview, we talked about how CEOs and HR professionals recruiting the next generation of talent need to approach recruiting differently in the future, given how they consume media. We spoke about why liberating ourselves from not knowing all the answers as CEOs allows us to perform better, and you'll also learn why multimedia expression is becoming more important than ever in the future of work. This was a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Shaul, welcome to Subject Matter. It's great to have you here. Great to be
1: here. Thank you so much.
0: So I was struck by something you said the last time we spoke, which is that a startup is like an escape room. Could you explain why you think a startup is like an escape room and what the difference is between the right way to approach the escape room and the wrong way as well?
1: I use this analogy, I guess, to highlight that uh, in a way, it's all fun and games, because uh, when you're in a startup environment, you're under a lot of pressure. Think about it. The premise of a startup basically means that you are expected to use very restricted means and achieve a lot, achieve something that will make a huge enterprise that's probably worth hundreds of billions of dollars to buy you out, to pay an extended amount of money to to buy your company because they couldn't develop what you did, even though they have all the resources in the world uh, at their disposal as a startup CEO or as a startup founder, you're really under a lot of pressure. You're expected to deliver something of a global scale, of magnificent quality in a very small amount of time with very um, small amount of resources. And it's very easy to get overly stressed uh, while doing it. And that's why I'm trying to remind myself and hopefully other uh, entrepreneurs and and executives that uh, it's really more of uh, an adventure. It's more of a challenge, kind of like an escape room. You have a limited time to execute on a mission and really try to have fun while doing it and treat it as a fun challenge. Either you'll make it in the end of the 60 minutes or you won't, but even if you won't, you've probably, you've had fun, you've gained experience, you'll do better next time because you've learned a lot uh, during your journey. So it's kind of a point of view that I'm trying to adapt in order not to um, be part of the horrible statistics, which I'm not sure if you're aware of, that say that uh, actually startup founders are much more likely to suffer from uh, depression, high anxiety, and uh, even the suicide rate among startup founders is is exceptionally high. And I think that if you adopt this point of view of treating it as um, whether the result is favorable or not, at least you had fun while doing that, then hopefully it's a way to digest all of it in a way that's healthier for the people involved.
0: So it's almost like by lowering the stakes somewhat in your head of saying that we don't have to put all of this huge pressure on ourselves. We can actually still execute in the way that we were going to, but we can have a lot more fun along the way. We can operate with a lot less suffering. I think uh, an interesting insight for CEOs here is that you have to be very strategic when you're running a company. Even if you're solving the same problem, Being able to frame it as a puzzle or as a game, that allows you to release your inner child. There's an element of play that comes into that that's kind of fun and exciting and a a novel way to express yourself. Do you think that this is easier to learn if you are a serial entrepreneur where you've had multiple companies versus a first-time founder and CEO?
1: Experience definitely teaches us to treat things in the right perspective. You know, When you're a child, you can get all fussy express very extreme emotions over the tiniest little hurdles that you bump into because you don't have the perspective and you don't have the experience to tell you that whatever it is you're facing, like, uh, I don't know, somebody uh, had more pudding than you did or, you know, whatever it is, is not really uh, a global crisis and it shouldn't be taken so seriously because you're lacking that perspective. You're treating every little thing like a big disaster. Likewise, I think that as a business executive, the more experience you have, the more you realize that whatever it is that's bothering you right now, you've been through similar things before and you know that they are solvable. You know, there is a way to resolve them. A startup is like a marathon run, you're expected to run for a very long distance. Uh, you're going to go through a lot of phases during this process. Now, imagine doing all of this with a lot of weights on your shoulder, it makes it extremely harder, almost impossible. If not only you have to run these lengths and deal with everything on the way, you also have to carry a lot of weight on your shoulders doing that. Your self-esteem shouldn't depend upon your success. You're not on trial here. You had the courage, you had the guts to do something really crazy, really ambitious, really creative, and you're giving it all you got, and it may become successful it may not become successful sometimes the the end result doesn't necessarily depend on the quality of your work but on a lot of different circumstances that are outside of your control yeah i think you're going to do better if you'll uh, try and position it to yourself as an interesting fun challenge and not as a life or death question
0: there's definitely an element here of having more fun along the process and this transitions us nicely to the idea of how we're communicating and the ways that we're able to express ourselves much as there's one conventional way of running this startup and really putting everything on the line and attaching your identity to the company in many ways there's also this other way of operating which is to have more fun as as you've said and one of the things that you've said that stuck with me is that Print used to be the dominant way that we expressed ourselves, and now that's actually shifting. Could you talk us through how the way that humans are expressing themselves and how we are communicating is shifting in the 2020s?
1: The means in which we express ourselves are becoming much more diverse. It used to be pretty much about text, either a spoken word or a written word, but we used to communicate. Solely by uh, writing essays, by writing articles, writing letters to each other. And now we can send each other a photo or a GIF or an emoji or a little video. Best of all, a combination of some of them. When we look at uh, very commonly used expression forms such as Instagram story or Snapchat story, you can't really define what it is. It's not just plain text. It's definitely multimedia. It's combining different things Some of them are um, older form of expressions, like uh, a video or a photo, and some of them are brand new, like an emoji or a sticker or a location-dependent badge. So all of these things became part of our vocabulary. Sometimes I feel like I really have no way of expressing myself without using some of those elements because they became such a common part of how we express ourselves and how we externalize our emotions and thoughts that... It's almost weird that you would expect, I would say, a 15 years old student in uh, middle school or in high school, to express themselves solely by words, to write an essay. I'm an avid writer and uh, I'm, I even published my own novel. I'm afraid you're going to have to learn Hebrew in order to read it because it hasn't been translated to English yet, but uh, I'm a great believer in, in writing and in text and in you know written narratives. Today's generation, you know, my kids' generation, is a generation that grew up with a smartphone. They don't read as many books as we did. They got used to express themselves not only using text, but also using other forms of media. I would expect the school of the future, for instance, not to condition them, not to judge and evaluate how they express themselves solely by using all tools which are not as relevant to their lives, but really give them the opportunity to do that in the same way that is natural to them, that is natural to the habitat in which they were raised.
0: So it seems like we're seeing a broadening in the way that we express ourselves. For hundreds of years, we've had this one dominant form of communicating, which is the printing press that's been dominant for centuries. And now with the advent of the smartphone and technology, the ways in which we are expressing ourselves are different. You can be someone who likes to be in front of the camera. You can be someone who has voice and does a podcast. You can communicate just in, in GIFs and uh, emojis. Something that came out of one of our interviews from last season with Clint Paget is this idea that we've come full circle in our communication. So way back when our ancestors would write or scribble drawings in chalk on the walls of the caveman fighting the buffalo, etc, etc. And now we've gone through this process of having letters and uh, really nuanced communication, if you like, to now being able to show ourselves very authentically again through symbols like emojis. So much in the same way that we've had these chalk drawings on the wall and now we have these emojis, we've kind of returned back to this visual society if you think about this next generation coming into the workforce, they're young professionals, they're ambitious, they're looking to join their first startup, or maybe they're looking to start their own company and you want to support them. What kind of role do you think this rich media is going to play in their lives in the future and how they communicate?
1: So I very much relate to this uh, conclusion you mentioned about uh, completing a full circle back to the primary forms of expression. And I'd like to think that along the way, we didn't just come full circle and back to the starting point, but we've actually learned something along the way. So now we have, uh, we've expanded our uh, toolbox, the means that are available to us to express themselves, ourselves, and even though we, you know, in some ways we came back to the basics, we enriched them. We now have more sophisticated tools and ways of doing it, uh, which I think is great. The modern workspace is really shaping up as we speak. I mean, we are recording this conversation in uh, the middle of uh, 2021, a year into a global pandemic that forced all of us to adopt new habits and um, shy away from some old ones just because we had no choice. The entire world was kind of under siege, and we had to find different ways to do things that we got used to doing a certain way. And suddenly we saw that remote communication When you have no choice, you can actually rely on it and it may actually have some advantages. And maybe now that the world is opening back again, some people still prefer to work remotely, for instance, because they've realized that it has some advantages and that in some cases it makes a lot of sense. You know, what we call the modern or the future workspace is evolving partially by uh, force of nature, just by the circumstances that forced us to uh, learn and adapt new tricks, but also by... I think a very mental recognition by people that um, the old rules cannot be viewed as binary. It's like there isn't just one way of expressing yourself. There isn't just one way of contributing to a teamwork. It used to be thought that, you know, in order to be part of a team, you have to be physically in the same location with them. Now we've learned that that's not always the case, that there can actually be some sort of a hybrid model There can be circumstances in which one model is beneficial, but other circumstances in which it isn't. So, you know, I think that we are learning to be a little bit more versatile, a little bit more agile, and more open-minded to new ideas. And by itself, I think it's a blessing. I think it will lead to more innovation, to more creativity, and to people doing things, whether it's, again, expressing themselves or working in their workplace in a way that's
0: more natural, most suitable for each and one of them individually. It also seems that we have crossed a bridge and then burned our boats here with the pandemic such that the way that we communicated for decades, for centuries before this in business, in life, it was under the assumption of, well, there's nothing quite like the human touch. There's nothing quite like if I can get on a plane and and come and see you and we can handshake, we can hug. It's very different to virtually communicating. But the big button in all this is the pandemic. And in March, February 2020, we were forced to put that human connection on hold and say, okay, well, now we're going to communicate with each other digitally because we have to, otherwise we don't have human connection. Part of the reason why we're seeing this proliferation of digital tools and the way that we express ourselves is because people aren't happy just getting on the phone anymore. Or they aren't happy just writing a text. We need to have different ways that cater to our individuality that allows us to communicate. And this brings us nicely onto Piggy, which is the platform that you're building, which is going to help with this creative expression. How does Piggy enable someone to express their unique individuality? How have you thought about shaping the platform such that anybody, regardless of background, of mindset, whatever they look like or or how they think, can find a place where they can authentically express themselves digitally.
1: Just to give people a perspective, uh, Piggy, the company I co-founded and I'm the CEO of, uh, has been in business for less than a year, so it's still very young. And we don't necessarily have perfect answers to many of your and other questions because things are still shaping up as we speak. We are still a very young company and uh, in many ways we are still building stuff and evaluating our future plans as we grow. But generally the purpose of Piggy is to become a mobile-only application that will replace the common word processors like Google Docs or Microsoft Word as the default way for people to also documents express themselves Or, you know, really create content pieces for either personal or uh, group use. So it could be projects for school. It could be different essays. It could be your resume, you know, your curriculum vitae. It could be a letter. Any kind of document that you would otherwise create with a word processor, we would like to offer people to create it using Piggy. The biggest differentiator is really what you touched on. We want it to be very natural for people to express themselves. And since we acknowledge that today's people and definitely tomorrow's people, the young people of today, are used to express themselves using not only text, but also other various forms of media and do it in a non-structured environment that doesn't necessarily force them to a certain structure and narrative, but really enables them for more of a free flow of thoughts and ideas and emotions to be expressed, uh, we want to enable them to do just that. And I think that really our challenge and what we're most proud of that we're building is the fact that we're trying to make it individual for everyone. You know, even the name Piggy is really taking after a piggy bank as a way to convey that we want it to be something that's very personal and it's yours. It's, It's where you keep your most secret or most personal items, it's safe, It's all about you. You're not in a social environment like Instagram or Facebook. You're in an individual environment that you can create whatever your mind is into. And then, obviously, if you want to share it, we make it easy for you to share it. But the basic premise is that it's all about you. And therefore, you are allowed to be yourself. Social media had a lot of contribution to society in many ways. But some of the things that I'm concerned about social media is that it got people to start thinking and behaving like they're always under the camera of everyone around them. Everybody's viewing them. Everything you do is public. You're always being watched. And you should always be conscious to how you are being viewed. Everything you do reflects on you. You know, it makes people really addicted to try and create more falsely or artificially positive impressions by trying to look exceptionally good, trying to make it seem like they're having a lot of fun even when they're not. Maybe on the other hand, if they want attention, maybe they'll pretend to suffer or to be in pain in order to have more sympathy for people if that's what they need right now. I want to help create an environment in which people can really be themselves and they don't feel like they're constantly being monitored, so they don't have to constantly think through the prism of how am I viewed and how do other people think about me, but really about how do I feel and how do I express myself in a way that's most genuine. If Piggy is going to be successful in creating this environment and enabling the tool set that makes it possible for you to express yourself in any way you choose and not overly think about how do other people see it, then you know hopefully it will be very beneficial
0: for people. I love this idea by Marshall McLuhan of the medium is the message. And it's this idea that the medium we use to communicate actually shapes the message that we're going to receive. So as an example, reading a long text from someone and they say, I'm 30 minutes late, you don't know if that person is palming you off or if they are really genuinely, sincerely sorry. But if you hear a voice note and I say, hey Shaul, I'm really sorry, I'm 30 minutes late to our podcast, gonna have to reschedule, I appreciate, et cetera, et cetera. You can tell in the tone of my voice whether I'm sincere or not. And so coming back to the platforms that we use to express ourselves today, Instagram is a medium and it's very visually focused. And because it's so big with the younger generation, you've ended up with this life where everything has to be polished. It's almost a challenge to be as happy as you seem on Instagram. Same with Twitter and like distilling these very bite-sized thoughts. I know you're a prolific writer on Twitter as well. And and just sharing these bite-sized bits of knowledge, again, the medium is the message. I think one of the things I'm interested in with this kind of potential is, well, what happens if the medium is a blank canvas? And this is a term that came up the last time that we we spoke and I think links to your strapline of create whatever. Like it's kind of this tongue in cheek idea that you can really own how you share your message. Why did you decide to go for this blank canvas model to open the floodgates to creativity? Why not build Piggy as, for example, a templated system? Because the argument there is that that would make it easier to be creative. The, The blank canvas could be maybe intimidating.
1: We want it to be personalized. And when you create a template, obviously, it's easy because you're doing a lot of the work and a lot of the thinking for the user. But in many ways, you also really don't enable them to be themselves, to ask themselves, how do they want it done? What way will it be done that's most reflective of who they are? And I think the blank canvas is really the approach to say, there are no rules. We are here to accommodate any ideas You can do whatever you want. Give yourself the freedom to do whatever is right for you. When you're creating your resume, because you are applying for a job, that resume has strict rules of how it's written, right? We all know it has to be one page. It has to have your contact information at the top. It has to underline your education and then your experience in linear order. In a way, it's the most non-personalized format. It's asking you to express, to convey who you are to express who you are, but it really takes away your ability to do so because it forces you to do it in a very rigid way. If I was considering to hire you for a job as, you know, my right-hand person, I would really love to know who you are, to get a sense, just like you correctly said, to hear the tone in your voice, to get a sense like I'm more familiar with you and if all I got was this one-page resume that between you and me, it's like, it's even though it's one page, it's very hard to read them because they're so crowded and they're so full of formalities. When you read them, you, you sort of skip through them to just see the highlights, like see where they worked and how long have they been in business, but you don't really get a sense of who they are. Now, if in comparison, as opposed to using a word processor and writing a standard resume, one would use Piggy and create a little story in which they videotape themselves and they speak and they talk about their experience and then they say, oh, you know, I used to work at this company called Playbuzz and here's what I did and here's what I loved about my job and here's what I think I learned from this position. I think it would be much more powerful, much more convincing that me as a hiring manager, I would get a sense of like, is this person really the kind of person that I could be collaborating with and enjoy working with? And I think that the more you give people the tools to do things in their way, the higher the chance that they'll be able to really convey
0: their most genuine and more interesting thoughts. So again, like coming back to this idea that the canvas that we use to express our message is going to define the way that it's perceived. And I think there's a a really striking lesson here for people who are maybe on the receiving end of resumes, people who are looking to get those interviews, which is to open the doors to creativity to the people who may be kind of coming through in your company. So so let's make this practical for a second then. So if we put ourselves in the shoes of a CEO or a CHRO, someone who is managing dozens potentially of interviews and applicants, Uh, every single month to grow a scaling business. How does this notion of the fact that the next generation of talent has such a wide choice that they can use to express themselves, how does that notion, do you think, inform how the CEO or the CHRO defines their recruiting strategy for young, ambitious professionals?
1: I think it's a process. I think that what we're going to see is that in a few years from now, the whole process that's currently very structured and very similar, if I'm hiring a controller and I'm hiring a chief creative officer, I'm pretty much using the same process, even though the positions are so far apart and the kind of personalities involved and the skills that required is very different and very individual to each position. I think that what we're going to see over the years is that this process will be broken down to something that's much more tailored, that's much more free form. And hopefully Piggy will have a role in this process, in this transition. The way that the current process is meant to reduce friction and make it very scalable. If you need to hire 20 people every week, then it's almost impossible to give each of them individual attention. But if you don't give each of them individual attention, you end up with robots instead of thought partners, right? It becomes a very linear, not intuitive process that's really could have been done better by a bot. And it's lacking this human touch, this um, ability of both sides, uh, the applicant to express themselves and uh, the hiring manager to really listen and not just check the boxes on a few items that they have on the list as requirements, but really get to know the applicant and have a meaningful dialogue with them. And hopefully, I think that that will lead to a more personalized and more effective process. Obviously, you know, revolutions take time. All the habits die hard. They don't change so easily. Unfortunately, I don't think that every position in the world will hire only candidates that created their resumes on Piggy anytime soon. But I think that slowly and surely, it will probably start with more creative positions, positions that call for uh, younger people And, uh, you know, not necessarily be judged based on their experience, but more based on their skill set and their uh, personality and, you know, the kind of personal vibe which they bring to the workplace. And hopefully once people get used to this methodology, they will be more flexible in applying it to other positions as well.
0: Yeah, something you said there I want to pick up on is there's a link between the need to give digital natives a versatile way of expressing themselves and the versatile way that they can now apply to companies. So before you had the resume, but now you could have the video, you could have the podcast, you could have the slide deck, whatever that might be. What I'm hearing from what you're saying, Shaul, is that a key skill for these people who are hiring, whether that's a CEO, CHRO or any other leader, is to develop the skill of being responsive and adaptable to how that next generation communicates. Let's say you've put them in your marketing department where media is your fuel. If they are going to add net new ideas to your marketing. How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to think digitally first. They're going to think about videos, about podcasts. They're going to think about the kinds of media that they want to produce. If you tell them, well, this is the way that we've done our marketing for the last 20 years, and we need you to fit inside this little framework, then they won't just feel like a small cog in a big machine, but they will feel like the gears are grinding to a halt because you're stifling their creativity. And so for the the CHRO or the CEO who's listening, I think one of these key skills here is to develop a measure of responsiveness to the candidate. You mentioned that you um, have previously worked at, at Playbuzz and you've worked at several other companies previously. When you're assessing candidates, when you're assessing which talent to hire, are there any questions or checks that you go through to make sure that you're not just putting a candidate in a preconceived box or a preconceived idea of what you want to hire for, but baking in some flexibility and some adaptability to see that maybe this person can fit into our organization in a different way than we anticipated, but could still be really valuable.
1: I um, couldn't agree more with everything you said. And I'll, I'll take it even a step further and say that the way you're communicating with other people uh, really set the tone to how they will carry this um, methodology further on. So, for instance, if we're talking about hiring, if while you're hiring, you're really only checking boxes in a pre-made list and you're looking at things in a very tactical way, all you care about is exactly how many years of experience the applicant has and you know whether they've done 90% of their potential future job duties in the past and executed on them well and have good references... Then you're really training your future employee to think in a very structured, non-creative way. You're making them think in that you know, this organization is all about checking boxes. There's a pre-made process, and you just have to make sure that everything fits. And this is the kind of vibe that you're setting and the kind of quality you're gonna get from them. Now, if you are a large enterprise that has a hundred thousand employees and doesn't want to innovate much, but just to sort of sustain the business. Maybe that's more of a value that you're striving for, but I think that in today's economy, when we see global enterprises emerge out of nowhere over the course of a couple of years because they were able to disrupt and think outside the box and create something original that didn't exist before, I think the real challenge and the real opportunity is to go in the other direction. If someone came for a job interview and it was completely informal, it was creative, it was participatory, It was leveled. It wasn't about me considering whether to grant you the opportunity to work for my organization, but us communicating and thinking, you know, do we like each other? Do we want to work together? How creative can we be together? It can set the tone and it can set the spirit to go in the right direction of uh, having people that are real problem solvers, that are real creative thinkers
0: and are not just trying to be another part of a big machine. I love this idea that The hiring process that you use will actually help or inform the structure of your organization. It reminds me of Conway's law, where the law is essentially that any system you're trying to build in the company is going to mimic the organizational structure that you've set up. So the team literally defines the system. How do you think leaders can encourage innovative Original thinking? What kind of practices can they have with their teams? Maybe that's in a meeting, in a one to one, maybe in how they share strategy at a monthly town hall or a weekly all hands. How do you think leaders can really be the conduit for creativity in their organizations?
1: You know, before I answer your question in a very technical way and think about specific tips and tricks of how to foster innovation and creativity, I'll go back to this uh, personal example. I think that uh, one of the first leaders that we all encounter in life is our teacher. And if our teacher is going to really really emphasize us abiding by rules, memorizing facts and items so we can always spill out the right piece of data when asked for, then this is the kind of thinking that we'll adopt. This is the kind of um, way that we'll assume that we are expected to behave in. And ultimately, we're not going to grow to be creative thinkers. But if that teacher will provoke thought and will actually encourage us to try and seek new ways to solve problems and express ourselves and create, if this teacher will not only say, I'm not going to read the essay that you handed because it was written in the wrong size of font, but on the other hand, say, it's completely fine if instead of an essay, you created a little computer game to express your thoughts and knowledge of the topic. And I'll, I'm i the teacher, will go the extra length, the extra mile, the extra effort of trying to understand how to review this project, even though it's not in a language that I'm necessarily are familiar with, because I want to give you the chance to express yourself in your own way, will raise people that are more open-minded, that challenge themselves and dare to think outside the box and to think of creative ideas and not be dismissive of ideas that don't fit into a current familiar pattern. So I think that the personal example really is kind of the ground rule of leadership and of uh, how you inhabit certain culture in your organization. There are a lot of advisors and consultants and methodologies that you can read about on how to encourage innovation and creativity inside your organization while not sacrificing the day-to-day management of tasks that need to get covered and need to get done For me, it's really about being truly open-minded. When someone comes with an idea that is alienating, that at first you hear it and you're like, okay, this person is not thinking in the direction I'm expecting them to, this is where I'm trying to hold myself off on the immediate instinct of rejecting the idea and really challenge them to convince me. And I will do it in the most straight-up way. I will say, you know what, what you just offered is completely not in line with the way I was thinking, which means that I think we have a golden opportunity here. I have an opportunity to learn something from you that I don't already know. And I want to challenge you to further explain your idea to me, your initiative, and try and present it to me in a way that I can understand and try to explain to me how can this methodology or how can this practice be used in a way that will be in line with our goals, in line with the premises, and you know what are the pros and cons? You're saying, hey, you know, this is not about me judging your idea or evaluating how good you are as a person. This is about me trying to learn from you. You and I are, are equal in the sense we may not make uh, the same salary and we may not have the same level of authority in the company, but we are equal in being partners to a dialogue and I'm actually genuinely open-minded to listen and learn I can't say that I, um, in 100% of the cases, I'm always adaptive and always open-minded. I have my own biases as well. But I'm really trying to challenge myself, not to disqualify things that are not exactly in line with the way I envision them, but really to be as open as possible to new ideas. Some of them will get accepted, some of them won't. But even when they're not, I'm sure I'm going to learn something from the process. I'm sure I'm going to learn something from... uh, hearing how this person thinks, how they approach the problem. Maybe I'll realize that I haven't conveyed the premises in a clear enough way. Maybe I'll uh, learn about new tricks that I wasn't aware of that may not apply here, but could be applied somewhere else. But I'm sure there's going to be a learning experience. And once there is, once you as a manager learn from your employees and your partners, then you're in an organization that is set up for um,
0: innovation and creative thinking. And this also sets the tone for everyone else in the organization, because there are plenty of businesses where managers won't admit their shortcomings. And it kind of becomes this very toxic, bloodthirsty culture of seeing who can get one over on somebody else. And as with anything, any kind of culture, culture starts at the top and trickles down. It's not a, a grassroots idea. And so this concept of encouraging conflicting thinking as a way to better understand each other and come up with better ideas I can imagine that that then for you as the leader then sets the tone for everyone else because then everyone else at Piggy can say well if Shaul's willing to be challenged then I'm willing to be challenged and I'm willing to push on that conflict
1: you know I guess it automatically sets something in people's mind to say Willing to be challenged is a virtue of, of leaders in this organization. This is how you grow. Like, if I want to adapt the values that will help me be successful in this organization, uh, then this is one of them. But I honestly think that um, the most effective way of entrenching uh, certain values, either as a business leader or as a teacher or as a parent, you know, these are three different hats that I was wearing in, in, in different parts of my life. I used to be a high school teacher at the beginning of my career. I think that in each of these capacities, you achieve good results and you plant the seeds for uh, future successes when you're coming open-minded and ready to learn. I think, you know, that's honestly the most um, effective way of encouraging the people around you to bring out the best in them. And when people bring out the best in them, good things happen.
0: This also reminds me of something you shared the last time we spoke, which is, That you are constantly admitting to yourself how little you know in the grand scheme of things and that our solutions are bets why do you think it's important as a CEO for you to view the solutions you're working on as a bet
1: the way i perceive the world and you know people obviously um, are in liberty to think otherwise is that uh, it's a very chaotic environment and we know very little And sometimes, even when we do something well, and the obvious example to me would be the success of my previous company, Playbuzz, which I co-founded and I was the CEO. And then two years after we started it, it took off in a neck-breaking pace. We grew tremendously fast. I'm not going to say overnight, but over a very short period of time, we, we experienced exponential growth. And it was a great feeling. It was a big triumph, you know, huge celebrations, a lot of Gratification and reward. But in all honesty, it's not like we could articulate exactly what made us successful. We could say, here are the choices we've made. We think that choice A led to result X, but obviously we're not in full command of it. It could be a lot of other variables which we're unaware of. Some of them are beyond our control, like changes in the market very technical things. Like for us, you know, we got all of our traffic or most of our traffic from Facebook. So the way that Facebook constructed their algorithms had a tremendous effect on the success of our platform. And for better and worse, we couldn't control it when things took off. A lot of the credit was to the way Facebook was um, managing itself, or I would say to the way that we adapted to Facebook. When things hit a wall at a certain stage and stopped going so well, it was because those environmental variables changed on us and we had no control over them. So since I feel like we live in a world where we can only impact so many things to a certain extent, but we can't fully control everything from grassroots, then I think that whenever we make a choice, there is a certain level of uncertainty about what it will lead to. And we're making an assumption. We're making a guess based on our experience and intuition and knowledge And we're assuming that the strategy we pick or that the path we follow is going to lead to a favorable result, but we don't know that for sure. Remembering that is important for two reasons. A, when things don't go well, don't blame yourselves. Don't blame yourself for trying. You took the best decision that was apparent to you at the time, and it may have worked one way or another. There's no other way to know rather than trying. And B, when you are successful, don't be tempted to think that it's, it's because you know everything and that you have everything under control. It's because you you made a choice that led to a favorable result, either by uh, very correctly assessing the situation or by uh, unintentionally hitting some mysterious invisible button called luck. And that played to your power too. You know, however strong is the uh, relative proportion contribution of each of these factors, we really are making bets. We're trying our best. We don't know everything. We're making bets and we hope for the best. I think that's a very healthy way to think about it because going back to the way we started this conversation, if you really think that everything has a finite answer and it's your job to identify it, then you're really setting yourself up for a lot of anxiety because no human that I know, maybe you or others are different, but at least no humans that I know, really know everything and really have all the answers so you know i think that expecting yourself to um, analyze every situation come up with the exact correct solution or conclusion is just not realistic
0: so with the parallel to the escape room of treating things as a game and acknowledging that there are things that are above your skill level that are out of your control having this mindset ingrains consistent humility into your company from day one and to say that we're not going to pretend to be completely in control we're not going to pretend to have all the answers and this is something that i like to say as well as ceo to my team like look we're less than a year into the agency we're a young company i have lots to figure out the company has lots to figure out and we will get there but we're not going in with this like templated playbook that we're following right we are just pushing the boundaries every single day so yeah, I really resonate with this idea of consistent grace and humility as you, as you operate.
1: Being a big sports lover, I always uh, try and take inspiration from professional athletes and the way they carry themselves. And I think that if, um, you know, under pressure it's the 90th minute of a football match and uh, you're trying to win, and you're running like crazy with the ball, and then you're kicking it with all your might, you have no way of knowing for sure whether or not you're going to score a goal. You can only try. And if it works out, of course, it's going to be a triumphant moment in which you're on top of the world. But you also realize it's a combination of the goalkeeper standing where they stood. Maybe uh, the wind played in some factor as well maybe somebody was blocking the goalkeeper's view for a split second and that contributed. So it's not, you're not necessarily going to be able to replicate it in the exact same circumstances on each and every match. But it's also, it's not sheer luck. I mean, you've trained all your life, you've practiced hard, you've been focusing and mentally preparing yourself to be in your prime at that moment. So it's really a combination of both. And I think that's what makes it So enjoyable. If you played with the weight on your shoulders that you know you are being evaluated now for how good you are, you know, how good of a person are you, then it would be paralyzing. I mean, you won't be able to move even one yard with the ball, right? It's gonna completely take off all the enjoyment out of it. You have to release yourself off of it, you have to think that you know you are taking a challenge, this is a great fun experience, and you're gonna give it your best shot, and hopefully it's gonna be fun. And if you're a little lucky, maybe it's going to end up in a favorable result as well. But not having this, um, I would say, fatalistic approach releases you from the boundaries of uh, making everything so fatal, so heavy, so consuming, and just let you be yourself, which I really think is, you know, the more liberated you are and the more free-spirited you are, the higher the chance that you're going to perform well.
0: That's really well said, and uh, that that definitely resonates this idea of kind of liberating yourself so that you can be yourself better. Well, I've got one final question for you before we wrap up, and that is, what is your one-sentence definition of culture?
1: When I think of uh, corporate culture in an organisation, I think about the uh, spirit of the place. I think that it's about this uh, the vibe or kind of the attachment that makes the whole larger than the sum of its parts. So it's really about, you know, you're taking a bunch of talented people, you put them together. I think that their ability to bring out their creativity and their talent and their qualities and translate it to a viable production depends on this vibe, on this culture, on this feeling, on this spirit that we are all a part of something that's bigger than us individually. It's not about me as a CEO. It's not about how much money we're making. It's not about whether or not we do better than certain competitors. It's about whether we created this environment in which we all feel that we can bring out the best in us. And I think that when you create this magic, good things happen. Sometimes you group the world's biggest football stars together in the same team, and they play horribly together. Sometimes you have uh, limited talents, and there's something in it called the culture. There's something about the way that they feel with each other, about their ability to be relieved from external pressure that just lets them be themselves and bring out the best in them and then good things happen. So that slippery term called corporate culture is really the glue that puts it all together and the environment or the platform, the, the circumstance that uh, help talented people realize their potential.
0: Love it. I appreciate the uh, the sports analogy. that's definitely sticky. This idea you can have 11 mediocre players, but if the right culture's there, the right glue, then they can perform exceptionally. Well, Michelle, this has been a, a really insightful interview. I've certainly learned a ton, and I know our listeners will have as well. If people want to keep up with you and your journey, where's the best place to follow you online?
1: So uh, I'm on every social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Facebook and pretty much everywhere else. And I'm always happy uh, to take any incoming calls, ideas, uh, share thoughts, listen, try and advise to the best of my ability. So if anyone got the impression that talking to me can be helpful to them in any way, I more than encourage them to try
0: and reach out. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, really appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, it's Ben here. Just before you head off, one quick thing. This podcast teaches you the skill of empathetic communication. And if you're interested in accelerating your empathetic communication and to start applying it to your brand and business... We've created an actionable five-step checklist which breaks down the exact steps you need to take to unlock this skill and start creating messages that connect with your customers and employees' heads and hearts. You can download it for free over on our website, weareastutely.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Subject Matter.